0: Well, Merry Christmas. That sounds like about a 30, three o'clock Merry Christmas. Uh, I'll just say the one o'clock did much better than that. We'll try it again. Merry Christmas. Merry- that's a little better. It's good to have you here. Those of you up in the VIP loft, it's so great to, to have you as well. I understand it's pretty raucous and crazy up there. Having a good time those online. Uh, good to have you join us as well. It is Christmas weekend, Christmas Eve, and I love Christmas. I love most things about Christmas. I love uh, just the traditions of Christmas. I love most of the music of Christmas. There's a few songs I could do without, but, but uh, I'll, I'll handle those. I love Christmas food. Um, and I I love Christmas decorations, especially lights. Love Christmas lights. But the thing that I love more than anything else about Christmas is what we're gathered in this room to do and to celebrate. It's a truth of an event that happened 2,000 years ago, but that's not why it's so fun to celebrate. It's because that event that happened 2,000 years ago has implications and ramifications for our life today, here and now, and that's why we celebrate. And here's what's amazing thing. I, I challenge you to tell me any other event in history Where for two millennia, for 2,000 years, globally, people have gathered to celebrate. Every continent, every country, every culture, countless languages in different settings, in different styles, in different magnitudes, to join to celebrate the birth of a child, this child named Jesus. And the prophecy said that unto you a child will be born, a son will be given, and his name will be Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, Emmanuel, God with us. It's an incredible thing that we celebrate today. Not just the birth of Jesus, but the reason behind the birth of Jesus and why we're here. Now this, when it comes to the Christmas story, especially in the biblical narrative in the Gospels, three of the Gospels talk about this birth of Jesus. Matthew hits it kind of from a Jewish perspective with a lot of things that the Jewish audience would understand. Luke did a great deal of research, uh, a lot of uh, eyewitnesses, and, and wrote down the experience there. John hit it more from a theological standpoint. There is one line in the biblical Christmas story that I love more than any other line. It has become my favorite line. Now, there's a lot of great lines in the story. I mean, when the, uh, the prophecies talk about this one who would be Emmanuel, that's an amazing line. When the angel appeared to Joseph and said, you will name him Jesus because he will save his people from their sins, that's phenomenal. That's phenomenal. The other angel appeared to, to Mary and, and said, you are highly favored of the Lord, and the, the child you give birth to will be the son of the most high God. And when John says the word became flesh, these are amazing lines. But my favorite line in the whole Christmas narrative comes, and maybe it's partly because of who it was spoken to, comes to some guys that have no business being in the Christmas story. I mean, they, they're not Bible guys, they're misfits is what they are. And, and they're the shepherds, and, and all due respect if you raise sheep. Don't, don't get me wrong here. But these shepherds were like socially, they were misfits. I mean, they had friends in low places. They knew that song by heart. They lived that song. The song was written about them. That's what they, and, and it has been said that they were ceremonially unclean, so they weren't allowed in the temple. Whether that's true or not, I'm not sure, but that's what has been said. And, and so if that's the case, they're not your religious kind of people. They're not people of the Torah. They don't know the scriptures. On top of that... They're raising sheep. Now, vocationally, maybe that's a great vocation, but I just want to say, you probably don't need a master's degree to do that. They're just kind of blue-collar, hard workers, salt of the earth guys, and here they are out there with their sheep, just misfits socially, spiritually, even like economically and, and educationally. They're just these normal guys. They're unflappable. They're not easily spooked. They stay out all night with the wild animals and the darkness and the sheep, and here the sheep are who are easily spooked, The sheep have a full stomach. They've been watered. They've been fed. Now they're safe. They're bedded down for the night. And here are these shepherds sitting around in the middle of the night, probably singing songs around the campfire. They don't even know they're going to be a part of this story. It's not like they sit around saying, Oh, you know what? You know what day it is today? It's Christmas. How did we miss that? They didn't know. This is a night like any other night, sitting out by the fire with their sheep in the middle of the field, and in the middle of the night, it says an angel of the Lord shows up. Not in the daytime, that would have been a little better. Nighttime, just out of nowhere. you got to warn a guy about this. And not only does he show up, but it says the glory of the Lord, the radiance of the Lord shone round about him. This is not just a little halo that bing pops up there. This radiance of the Lord, the glory of the Lord is this flash of brilliance, so much so that these shepherds who are really not easily spooked, they're unflappable, they, the Bible says, they are terrified. And what's amazing, as they are terrified, I mean, they're just freaked out. I always wonder about the parts that are not recorded in the Bible. If these these shepherds who are not easily spooked are terrified, what about the sheep? (laughs) They're gone. They're all over the countryside, and the shepherds are saying, we will never get this flock back together, and if we do, they'll never be the same. These sheep will be so traumatically just changed. I mean, they'll never bear wool again. It'll be cotton from here on out. What are we going to do with these sheep? And here are these shepherds who are terrified, and also, the Bible doesn't record their immediate response, and I think there's a reason for it, because I think their immediate response was, oh, beep. (laughs) What the beep? Beep beeping beep they are freaked out and i love what the angel says and this is my favorite verse luke chapter 2 verse 10 but the angel said to them do not be afraid i bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people what does he say freak not stop freaking quit beeping all right Freak if not, stop, don't, you don't need to be afraid. And the reason I love this verse is because for the last 27 years, I've got to be able to say these things on, in settings like this on Christmas Eve because chances are some of you are here right now in this room or in the law against your will. You don't really wanna be here. Maybe it's a favor to grandma, maybe you lost a bet, maybe they promised you dinner, whatever it is, but you're here and you're a little bit freaked out right now because you don't know what happens in the big tin building off of Northwest. You don't know what they're gonna do to you, you don't know what's, and I get to say, freak not. Freak not. And just like the angel said to the shepherds, this is good news. I get to tell you the best news. Good news, What, what I'm thankful for, for the shepherds, and for us, is that he said, I bring you good news. Not advice, but news. Well, we get plenty of advice. You know, your doctor will give you advice, your dentist will give you advice, financial you know, advisor will give you advice, your your spouse, your boss, which may be the same thing, but your kids, your parents, they'll all give you advice. You know, exercise more, drink less, floss occasionally, put away for retirement, clean your room, whatever my lot of advice, a lot of advice. Good advice, probably. But this isn't this isn't advice, this is news. See, advice is something you should do. Advice is something you ought to do. Advice is something you need to do. News is something that has been done for you. And he says, and it's good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Do you know how rare that is? Because usually when there's good news for one group of people, it's probably bad news for another group of people. You see this in the political arena all the time. And I hate to say it, but... What's good news for the 49ers is usually bad news for the Seahawks. The closest thing to good news of great joy for all the people still has bad news. If it's bad news for the Patriots, it's good news for the world. And he says, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people, not just the Jewish people, not just the Bible people, not just the church-going people, not just all the rule-keeping people, for all the people. And then he changes from this this global, all the people, and he makes it personal. He said, for today in the city of David, a Savior has been born to you. This is good for all people, but then he makes it very personal. It's for you. And I wonder if for the next 20, 25 minutes, if you could try to do something with me. I don't know where you are on the whole thing with the spirituality and Christmas and the Bible and church and on Jesus and all that. You may not believe any of that. You may say it's all a bunch of fairy tales or I'm an atheist, whatever. I'm not gonna tell you what you should believe. That would be advice. Here's what I wanna ask you to do. Would you be willing to imagine, just imagine, don't believe, just imagine what if this was true? And imagine what if this was true for you? Just try to do that. Just try to imagine, what if this story was true, and what if it was true for me? All right, Scripture, says this in John chapter 1, verse 14, the word, Jesus became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. You say, okay, well, I'll try to imagine that's true. Try to pretend like, you know, I believe that or whatever. I'll imagine it's true, but I'm not sure that that's good news. In fact, there's a part of that that's a little disconcerting, if Jesus came full of truth, he probably knows the truth about me, and the truth, it's about the truth about me, truth about you, is that if everyone knew that, it might not be good news. What if we found out that you were going to be here today, we interviewed your friends, your family, your neighbors, your coworkers, everybody that we knew, and just said, tell us about this person, and then we got on your, your web search uh, history and found out all about the things that you've been looking at, and... And then we had some way of knowing your motives. And and then we put all that up on the side screen. That would not be good news for most of us. Because there would be some embarrassing things. There would be some things we're ashamed of. There would be some guilt. There would be a fear of judgment and condemnation. But it says Jesus comes full of truth. And he knows the truth about you. He knows every word you've said. Every action. Every deed. He knows every thought you've had. He knows your motives, he knows your priorities, your passions, he knows your fantasies, he knows everything you've ever done and everything you ever will do. That's not necessarily good news. He knows who's naughty and nice. He knows the truth about you. Here's where the good news comes. Because he knows the truth about you, he comes with the grace for you. That's the reason he came. He came with grace for us a savior is born. See if everything's wonderful, if everything's good, if everything's perfect, you don't need a savior. But when the truth about you isn't so perfect, he says I've got grace for you. See John 3:17 says God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world would be saved through him. So don't be afraid. Hold that thought. I want to tell you a story. In 1970, I know, a long time ago, our family moved from Ruston, Louisiana to Vancouver, Washington. And uh, that, that fall, I was going into the second grade, just a little shaver, going into the second, not, not actually shaving, I was a little guy, uh, going into the second grade, new, new area for us and, and a house that we'd never been in before. And so, started the second grade. That fall, uh, right after Thanksgiving, we were decorating our home in Washington for the first time. My mom has always loved the color of blue. It's her favorite color of all times. Always has been, always will be. So as we're decorating the house and the tree, she's bemoaning the fact that we don't have more blue ornaments. We've got some, but not more. And she's a little upset by the fact that, you know, the lights, old school lights, you know, about every fifth or sixth one was blue. They should all be blue in her thinking. And she was a little upset. Why is it that green and red gets all the airtime at Christmas? Why not blue? And she made this statement and who knows for sure that Santa's outfit is red. It could have been blue. So we went on decorating. I thought I was going to school. I was going to Lincoln Elementary School. Went to second grade. Our teacher instructed each of us to bring something from home, a very specific something, because we were going to use it for an art project. What all of us in the second grade were supposed to bring was one of these. Um, from our home, maybe your homes have these hopefully. Uh, This is the empty roll of some toilet paper, it's the the roll, and we were supposed to bring this in for an art project because we were gonna make an ornament for our tree out of the toilet paper roll. And I had determined whatever this ornament was gonna look like, mine was gonna be blue because my mom was upset that we didn't have more blue ornaments. So off to school I went with my toilet paper roll with this determination that I was gonna make this blue uh, ornament. Um, Last Tuesday, a week ago today, I was with my mom. I spent, because we can't spend Christmas together, I spent the entire day with her. Uh, Just mom and I, we went around to all different places where I grew up, where we used to go fishing for crappie, where we used to shoot at rabbits, and where we played t-ball. The school I went to, it's torn down now, not because I went there, it's just old, but the school, and and our first home, and the church, and all that. And when we're at this house that we moved to in 1970, she started recounting this story about when I was in the second grade, going off uh, to school to make this ornament. And she said, you know, it was such a meaningful thing to me that years later I wrote it down because I I didn't wanna forget about it. And she said, in fact, I have a copy. Do you want a copy? I said, sure. So she emailed me a copy of that when I got home and it was there in my inbox. I wanna read you just two paragraphs from her story that she wrote. She wrote, a few days before school was dismissed for the holidays, I walked into my son's second grade class at Lincoln Elementary. The teacher rushed up to me and in a hushed whisper began to warn me that I should not react to Bob's art project. (laughs) She assured me that she had very cautiously tried to dissuade him in his choice of materials used, but he was very adamant in what he wanted. There displayed on the shelf in the back of the classroom stood 23 darling Santas, (laughs) all handmade by the second graders, using the royal of toilet paper that had come in the crepe paper, and cotton for Santa's beard. Everyone was bright Christmas red except for one. My son had found a permanent place in his mama's heart by the creation of a Santa all decked out in bright blue outfit. Today it is one of my most cherished Christmas ornaments that adorn our annual tree, and they all said in one accord, yeah. So I'm at home talking with my mom about this, and uh, she's 82, we went out to see my dad's grave, and she said, you know, Bob, I'm, I'm too old to die young, and I don't want to die old, so now's the perfect time to die, but I don't want to die. That's what you think about when you're 82, apparently. <laughs> we're having great conversations. So, so we're going through all this, talking about this ornament, and I said, do you still have it? And she said, yes, of course. Want to see it? It's 49 years old. <laughs> I mean, look at this thing, I mean, it, it, it's, it's awful. Okay, hold, hold on, hold on, listen. I mean, it is deteriorating. I mean, if you saw this in Value Village, you wouldn't give 50 cents for it. <laughs> now, look at that thing. But my 82-year-old mom, I, I'm telling you this, who says it's the perfect time to die. My 82, if today you offered her $1,000 for that ornament, She better take it and split it with me. I'll make her another one. Come on. I mean, it's just cray paper. I mean, focus in on this face. Look at this thing. The whites of his eyes are green. The iris is purple and the pupil is white. It's a genetic mutation. It's a freak show. It's an oddity. The truth about my ornament is it's a misfit, an absolute misfit. That's the truth about it. But my mom loves it. And the reason I tell you that is this. And I'm going to let you in on a little secret. Those of you who are just here as our guest, I'm going to let you in on a little secret about us here at Cornwall. Every one of us. We are all certified misfits. I mean, look at the pastor. We are all certified misfits. And I want to let you in on another secret. So are you. That's the truth about us. But Jesus loves us, and that's why I love Christmas, because it is good news of great joy for all the misfits. Because of the truth about us, there is grace for us, and we need that. I know we live in a very divided time, very divided country, and I don't want to uh, add to that. So let's have some grace here, but I do, I need some honesty. How many of you grew up or, or have like a, you're your a live Christmas tree family, you're a live Christmas tree home? Okay, okay. And how many of you are fake Christmas tree uh, folks? Oh, okay, yeah, see, misfits, all right. So, so listen, <laughs> a, lot of, a lot of grace here, a lot of grace, a lot of grace. So I grew up in the live Christmas tree home, the needles on the ground, the whole thing, all that. Dorian and I got married, we were a live Christmas tree family. And then about 10 years ago, when our girls moved out, And after about the third year of cutting down a Christmas tree by myself, dragging it across, you know, and by myself, and setting this thing up, and by myself, I said, that's it. We went to the dark side. So we are now a fake tree family. Fake Christmas tree, integrated lights, saves a lot of time, hang those little green sticks that smell like pine so you try to fake somebody out like it's actually real. It's an amazing thing. I want to tell you the tale of three trees, one of them is this fake Christmas tree and we have in our house. It's Doreen's tree. She makes the call on this tree. And it's, it's beautiful, and it's symmetrical, it's perfect in its shape, and, and the lights are all integrated into it, and so you don't see any wires, it's amazing. And at the top of this tree, she has this beautiful gold angel that's lit up, and that kind of starts the theme of this perfect tree. From this golden angel that's lit, lit up, then becomes this, this perfectly graduated spiral of this shimmering translucent gold ribbon that divides the tree up like layers of icing on a nine-layer cake. And it's so beautiful as the lights shine through this, this gold ribbon, it kind of does a starburst thing. And, and then all of the ornaments, they, they, they're not identical, but they all match. They're all gold. And they're all round. They're different sizes, but they're all round. They're all gold with different textures and different finishes on them, but they're all gold. And there surrounding the base of that tree is this beautiful shimmering uh, uh, Christmas tree skirt made of gold. And the whole thing is just as beautiful. It's like out of Macy's or Nordstrom or something. It's an amazing thing. And it sits in the northeast corner of our great room, the room where everything happens in our house. And there on that northeast corner, there's two windows, one facing to the north, one facing to the east, to proclaim to the whole world, the marvels have a perfect tree. And at night, those, those windows reflect the tree, so you see it three times over. It's a beautiful tree. It's Doreen's tree. It's perfect. We have another tree. It's my tree. <laughs> this tree almost didn't exist. In fact, it was our first fake tree, but after about five trips up and down the attic, the branches were falling off and the lights were not working anymore, and so it was on its way to the landfill, but I redeemed it, at least the top half. And I took the top half of this tree, and I jerry-rigged the base so it would hold it, and it needed some lights, so this one has integrated lights, but they don't work, so it has these other lights that are all strung in there. And on the top, there's this star, but it wasn't originally a tree topper. It was an ornament that got broken, so I culled a hole in the bottom of it and jammed it on top. It sits a little kilter, but it's okay. And on this tree, none of the ornaments match. In fact, this tree has all kinds of ornaments. And some of these ornaments are new, and some of them are old, and some of them are significant, and some of them, quite frankly, are very tacky, they're cheesy, some of them are broken and glued together. This tree has all kinds of ornaments, and there is no ornament unwelcome on my tree. And around the base is not some shimmering gold skirt, it's an old uh, tablecloth for Christmas that got stained that we don't use anymore, so I wrapped that around the bottom of it. And there are all of these ornaments I don't know if you remember that Rudolph uh, claymation and the the island of misfit toys. We have nicknamed my tree the tree of misfit ornaments because all ornaments are welcome on my tree. And it's not in this prominent place in our great room. It's in a room that really, I'm the only one that ever goes in. I play my guitar in there, I study in there, I read in there, and so that's where my tree goes. But here's the amazing thing about my tree is on these ornaments, They have stories, and I could tell you this story. Oh, this is when our girls made this in preschool. Well, this was when we were first married. Well, this ornament is from when we were in Hawaii. I mean, any ornament. This is from, you know, that that white elephant gift. This is from grandma, and this ornament is from when we were in Florida at Disney World. This is from Arizona. Anyone's welcome. This one's from Alger. Anything's welcome on our tree. (laughs) All these ornaments on this tree of misfit ornaments. I said it's a tale of three trees. There's one other tree I wanna tell you about. It's the very first Christmas tree, the original Christmas tree. It's found in the Bible actually. It's found in the book of Matthew in his telling of the Christmas story. It's a part that most people just go right over. It's this long list of names called a lineage that ends with the birth of Jesus, it's a family tree. But it's a Christmas family tree because it ends with Jesus. And what's interesting about this Christmas family tree of Jesus is that it's not perfect. In fact, throughout this tree, there are these branches and ornaments that are misfits. Lives that were a mess, that were broken. Skeletons in the closet, outliers, misfits has-beens, never's-beens, the Christmas tree of Jesus is filled with misfits. And that just gets to the birth. And then when you see his life, what Jesus was doing over and over again was welcoming in misfits, eating with misfits, hanging out with misfits, not the perfect people, not the religious leaders, the misfits. And when you think about those trees, And you think about us. You find this good news that Jesus invites us to join his beautiful, imperfect family tree. He says, I welcome you in. And here's the thing about the beautiful, imperfect family tree of Jesus is that no misfits are unwelcomed. They're all welcomed. And this is what Jesus does. Let me tell you the story about this one. Oh, here's one of my favorites. Let me tell you the story about this one. And let me tell you the story about this one. And the story he tells is not about our failures. It's not about our sins. It's not about our mess-ups. It's not about our brokenness. It's not about our skeletons. It's about forgiveness. It's about redemption. It's about grace. He says, let me tell you the story of this one. And every one of us who joined the, the beautiful, imperfect family Christmas tree of Jesus becomes a cherished ornament of his grace. He knows the truth about us. That's why he has grace for us. Imagine if that were true. What I mean, don't you, isn't there something to say? you that I wish that was true? Even if you don't believe it, don't you wish it was true? Imagine that. It says in Scripture, Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, part of his family, part of his family tree. You know, for, for some of us, and maybe for all of human nature, because this has been going on from the dawn of time, I suppose, is because we know the truth about ourselves, we keep God at a distance, because we know the truth about ourselves. Now, I, don't know if, I don't know if you've ever been in a long-distance relationship. I was once, Dated a girl, she found out the truth about me and she moved a long distance away. It's very simple. Some of you, some of you are in long distance families because <laughs> you know the truth about one another and it'll be reminded of you in the next day or two and you'll say, that's why I live where I live. Now, I don't want to cause any problems, but that's just true. And it makes its way into our spiritual journey. We know the truth about ourselves and so we keep God at arm's distance so that I don't want to get too close because I know the truth about me. And we're afraid instead of saying, fear not. And what's amazing about God is because he knows the truth about us, he doesn't move farther away. He comes closer to us. Again, we read in scripture, the virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. He says, I know the truth about you. That's why I come, to be close to you to be your savior, to bring grace for you. And what if this is true? That God not only loves you, but God is for you and he likes you. That's why he comes. That's why he invites you to be a part of his family. That's why he brings grace. And not just for, yes, someday when you die in heaven. That's all there and that's fine and well. But he says it's for life now, for here and now. I want you to experience my presence. I want you to experience my love. I want you to experience my power. I want you to experience my favor. I want you to walk in my truth. I want you to live in my grace. Imagine if that was true. Well, thanks for playing along with me on that imagination, but I'll say, for me as one, and you're surrounded by hundreds of others, for us, this isn't imagination and wishful thinking. We believe it is true. And it's about believing and receiving this gift because Christmas has always been about good news of great joy for the misfits. That God doesn't want a long distance relationship. He knows the truth. That's why he comes full of grace. I wonder if you just bow your heads right now. And maybe for some of you, you wanna go beyond just imagining and hoping this is true. You wanna believe and receive as well. And if that's the case, then right in the quietness of where you're sitting, if you would just pray something along this, it doesn't have to be these words, but say, Heavenly Father, I thank you that this good news of great joy is not just for the world, but it's for a misfit like me. I thank you that you know the truth about me and you come with grace for me. So I ask you to forgive me and I accept this invitation to be a part of your family tree. I no longer want a long-distance relationship. I'm going to walk in your presence. Learn from your truth. Be surrounded by your grace. Cast out my sin and enter in. Be born in me today. Amen. You know, if you prayed that prayer, and there's nothing magical about the prayer, it's the direction of our heart. It's the posture of our heart in our life. And we believe that it's not just a decision, but it's a life, it's a relationship that we enter into. And we want to help you in any way we can in your spiritual journey. If you prayed that prayer on your way out today, if you'd grab one of these, we'd love for you to have it. It's a New Testament. There's a letter from me and some little, uh, helps to get you started on your spiritual journey. And we just want to encourage you in your spiritual journey. Get involved with the church. You're more than welcome here at Cornwall. We would love to have you here, but if this isn't the church for you, find a church that is based on the word of God and lifts up the name of Jesus and get involved and grow. Be with other people who are not perfect, misfits, who are cherished ornaments of the grace of Jesus Christ. In John chapter one, verse four, it says this. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. You know, we have a Christmas Eve tradition around here of finishing our time with candlelight and the loft at the VIP experience. I'm gonna turn you over to them. You guys are gonna do this a little bit uniquely up there. God bless you. But as you came in, there was a candle on your, on your chair. If you're not aware of that, that'll explain why these chairs are so uncomfortable. <laughs> if you grab that candle, and we're gonna light these candles, and here's the one instruction, is that as you pass the flame to your neighbor, if your candle's lit, keep it up and down. Don't do that. (laughs) If you have the unlit candle, do that. Otherwise, we're going to have wax all over. So I'm going to invite you to stand, and we're going to sing. We're going to light candles, and then we'll pray as we conclude our time. this part of our service and I wonder if we could just lift up our candles and sing that first verse again with just the voices Father, our world is so dark, so much hatred and division, injustice, war, sorrow, evil. And into this dark world, you sent your Son to bring light. And you've given us your light, and you've called us to be light in this dark world. So I pray that we, ornaments of your grace, would bring into our world Hope, joy, love, justice, reconciliation, peace, unity, acceptance, life, and light. All for your glory. And we pray it in the name of the light of the world, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Amen.